This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth planners and investment managers who offer unwavering support in challenging times. Visit CanDoWealth.com for more information. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Natasha Faroz and I'm joined by Katie Balls and James Heal. Well, the government is currently in recess, but over the weekend, a secret meeting took place between both Labour and the Tories to talk about how we can make Brexit work better with our European neighbours. Katie, what's been happening? So this was a story in The Observer. I think it's definitely riled uh, various groups. As you say, a country house summit, uh, which had uh, senior members of Keir Starmer's shadow cabinet and also senior members of the government step forward, Michael Gove. Now, this summit was effectively um, held at the historic Ditchley Park retreat. It is described by the Observer as a private discussion under the title, How Can We Make Brexit Work Better for Our Neighbours in Europe? Now, This might not seem like a particularly controversial question. I think lots of people agree um, that you just look at, you know, the Northern Ireland Protocol, but also the economy, ways of growth, that that things could be uh, going better. But I think it's raising a red flag for a few reasons. First off, anything held in secret, why is it held in secret? It has a slightly more shady sense about it. And secondly, you have a situation where right now there is a worry, not just, you know, amongst the DUP, but amongst the right of the Tory party, that the government is heading towards selling out effectively on the Northern Ireland Protocol. Those talks have been going on for weeks, months even, but I think in the past few weeks there's been uh, lots of um, speculation there could be about to be a deal on the table. No one in Downing Street will really comment on it, but the problem with that is it means when these reports come out, it's really hard to know, because Downing Street will go near and steer, how accurate they are to what the deal will really look like or not. And with this meeting, it's not specifically about the Northern Ireland Protocol, but I think you just have that mood music. Now, Michael Gove, um, his supporters or his team have effectively has said he was there in a personal capacity. I think ultimately, if you have a senior minister, I mean, levelling up is not really to do Brexit negotiations. But I think just to have a really serious thinker in the cabinet who we know back, for example, during the Theresa May era was arguing for the Chequers deal and was seen by many, even though he backed Brexit, many on the Brexit side as being too willing to compromise. And that compromise did not, in a way, pass through the Tory party at the time. I think it just will add to the sense of, are we heading to a softer Brexit? And that is a problem for Rishi Sunak, because it means if he does if he does want to do some things to improve relations and various ways in the economy over Brexit, and if he does want to have a compromise on Northern Ireland, he really needs to be very careful how he lands it and how he sells it. And therefore, this story is unhelpful. I think the story that's still unhelpful to this day was the Sunday Times splash about how Jeremy Hunt was considering the Swiss model. Now, that was furiously denied by the Treasury. But just anything that adds to the sense that this government is less serious about Brexit than Boris Johnson is a problem, given what we expect to come soon. Yeah, I think by having Michael Gove, who always seems to be up to something. Uh, you know, he's such a sort of, as a politician, he's seen as a someone of enormous energy and intellect. And he's and there's always a sort of element of some sort of scheming. It reminds me of um, French politician Talleyrand, you know, who, when he died, one of his rivals said, now why did he do that? Because they were always trying to see what agenda 
uh, what was, you know, sort of like the SCS, Michael Gove's always more manoeuvres. That's the impression some have of him, uh, particularly because of what Katie says about the Czechs agreement. And of course, before that, you know, 2016, when he turned on Boris Johnson in the leadership race. And so that's perhaps why he's the most interesting kind of principal actor from the government who's been involved in this. I think if you also step back a sec, what Katie says about the Brexit talks is really interesting because I was talking to someone involved in it the other day and they were really pleased that there's been no leaks on this. It's very different from the kind of protracted scenario we had under Theresa May when there were three leaks of sort of briefings, leaks, counter-briefings, etc. Been very little to talk about what's been going on. And in that kind of that vacuum, anything that's seen as sort of Brexit or protocol is sort of seized upon and that's why some people involved in this like Lord Frost who was involved in the 2020-2019 discussions um, have come out very strongly about this Digital Park obviously is a very established you know, way of international uh, you know, of national figures getting involved in talks and so there's no perhaps secret about that but um, I was just glad to see a 17th century country house feature once more in political shenanigans and I think <laughs> after three years of Covid and um, you know Zoom calls and god awful knows what I think it's nice to have you know, Nice change yeah, nice change. Our statesmen of the country are gathering together and are plotting in a secret country house. Yeah, and, and just and just on the protocol, I think you to that point, which is, do we really know what's going on here? I think that if you look at the Times report last week, which was suggesting the various you know green and red lanes for goods. I think that is something which all sides suggest is is happening. But the most contentious thing is, of course, the role for the ECJ. Now, this was the suggestion that you could have. The ECJ is still playing a role, but a reduced role, whereby Northern Ireland courts would decide whether to refer something to the ECJ. Now, some people think that would be quite significant, but I had quite a senior Tory MP, who I think is quite middle of the party, but knows the party very well, say to me that if if that story was accurate, they did not think that would get through the right of the party. Now, there is a question about whether you need to even vote on this. Uh, there's, there's a protocol bill going through the Commons, but that is about unilaterally changing things. So if you had an agreement, you wouldn't need that bill in theory. So you could get to a situation where it's not a vote, but if MPs don't like something, they usually find a way to have a vote. Also in the news has been, this morning, the Labour Party dropped the GPC files. Is that right? The yeah. Government Procurement Cards. Cards. Not the Global Powerlifting Committee, as uh, we were Googling. We were trying to work out what this website was. <laughs> and, and, and it's sort of pegged to this Twitter files that we had a few months ago. So a big news drop. And it's essentially looking at some of the lavish and, and excessive ways that the, the Tory party have been spending their money. James, talk us through some of the excessive things that they've Sure. Found. So this, is a, this has come as the result of quite literally 250 written parliamentary questions, primarily done by uh, Emily Thornbury and free information requests as well to try to establish what these uh, GPCs are having their money spent on. And the procurement cards had their controls uh, relaxed at the start of the pandemic in 2020, understandable perhaps in light of what was going on in terms of the need to buy things urgently. But there's been some, you know, sort of sort of spending and, and also perhaps of standards being reduced in light of all of this. Now currently spending is up by 70% in 2021 on the 2011 levels. You also see some departments, I think, the Foreign Office is now 3.7 times as much spending as much as it was under its uh, previous organisation in the International Department. Uh, and there's also lots of sort of fun things like Home Office branded, like cups, um, money being spent at Fortnum and Mason, I believe. And, you know, you can pick these kind of things. I think most of them have a rationale. But really, I think Labour are trying to 
you know, play into this notion of Tory sleeve, Tory mismanagement, and they've also tried to show you know, that there was wasteful spending in COVID. So it plays into all those existing narratives. Uh, I have to say, we were just discussing before we came on air, we've just seen the latest headline on The Guardian is uh, Angela Rayner defending her own expenses um, with a uh, sort of £900 pair of AirPods. So it may not end as the way she, they like it, but they're clearly what they're doing. Just, just cast the listeners back to why Angela Rayner is a candidate to lead this campaign is a bit of a yeah. Well, this, was, this is I mean, there's interesting. I think Labour have you know done well on this. It's doing what opposition should do. You know, exposing you know you know what's going on in government and causing mischief. But it's a curious incident. I mean, it was Emily Thornberry who did all the work on this, probably ably assisted by her longtime media advisor Damien McBride, a master of the dark arts himself. And they've put Angela Rayner because I think I think she's a bit of sort of bother boy. She's the one who they choose to attack on this rather than Keir Starmer. But it's just a curious one because Angela Rayner has um, you know claimed a lot of a large claim for personalised pair of AirPods. Also has also um, previously wrote a letter of complaint on House of Commons paper about a pair of R2-D2 boots which were not in stock when she when she just got, first got elected to Parliament. So it was perhaps an interesting choice, uh, but I, I think it'll be a good story, but like nowhere near as, for instance, you know, the expense files or... It's, I think it's an attempt to kind of mimic what Sky and Tortoise did with the Westminster accounts looking at registered members' interests. I think what it does show is just that Labour is much more organised. So ultimately we are in parliamentary recess and Rishi Sunak is often criticised for... by so publicly declaring they want to make things boring I think it's given a real opening for to say well you're not putting enough forward and I think we saw over the Christmas recess but also now that they were trying to take advantage of that space to put as much through which is a sign of confidence but also working out how they can t- steal the news agenda and I also think as a country um this idea, so we always come back to, you know, Rishi Sunak's taken a helicopter to fly somewhere as opposed to getting the train like most people would do or even a bus. I do think that, to me, I mean, it'd be interesting to hear what listeners perhaps think. So if, you're, if you're telling me is it a better use of the Prime Minister's time to spend about seven hours on a train just so they can understand how bad the train situation is for many people, I don't think that's a good use of their time. I think it's much better but you can to, to get back to the office and try and fix the problems as opposed to this culture where you can get a bit in which is just, you know, well, you should slam it like everyone, which might make us feel a little bit better in the short term, but I don't think is <laughs> the most effective way to govern or fix the problems. Well, listeners, do let us know what you think. Should Rishi Sunak be getting a helicopter to various meetings or is it better just like the normal man to take the train? Um, Thank you, Katie. Thank you, James. And thank you for listening.